Welcome back to Pure Skin Talk. My name is Devin MacArthur, and today I am talking to Jeff Etherson, personal trainer. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. I first learned about Jeff when a family friend added me to a fitness group on Facebook. I like stuff like that, so I read all his posts. Then one day, he wrote up this post with a red background, and it made me reach out to him. This is what it said. How to lose body fat. Burn more calories than you consume. Not listed. Sweating. Carb intake. What time you eat. Fasted cardio. Cleanses. Keto anything. Because they don't effing matter. That hit me hard. I think we're always looking for the thing that will work. The magic answer. And he broke that down for me. There is no magic. Just like I talk about with skincare, it's the same with diet and exercise. There is no magic cream that will make you look 20 again, and there is no magic pill that will make you fit and strong. So let's get started. Tell me about your background and how you got started into personal training. Uh, so yeah, I played sports my whole life, and then uh, football mostly. Got done with college football and realized that I had a, a void of needing to compete in something and found bodybuilding. So through my early 20s, I competed in bodybuilding. And um, I think I think most bodybuilders at some point start training people just because they're the fittest guy or girl in the gym and everybody asks them to Makes train. Makes sense, absolutely. So didn't know, I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. I look back at the people that I trained at uh, 24-Hour Fitness and if you're happen to be listening I apologize because <laughs> um, I, I I knew a little bit but definitely not enough to be training other people and uh, I decided to go to college for it I went and got a degree in exercise physiology and uh, landed an internship with the Redskins right out of college and I got to go work with them in their weight room which was which was an awesome experience. It basically consisted of me wiping up benches after giant men lifted <laughs> weights on them. And uh, uh, I, was, I was cleaning a lot of things at that time. So I uh, came home from there and had all these ideas about starting, a, you know, uh, not a gym, uh, just my own program and what I wanted to do and take kind of this um, strength and conditioning style of training um, where, that people are training athletes and... and kind of modify that for the average person. And when I got back, it was kind of right in the middle of all that garbage in 2008 when everybody was losing their house and yep. nobody had the extra money for a personal trainer. So started doing group classes, yada, yada, yada. Opened up my own studio in 2010, um, mostly just because the old, I was renting space from another gym um, and that guy just, kind of pissed me off. And so <laughs> I opened my own place in spite of him. And uh, Always a great motivator. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are eight years later. Um, we've grown three times since then. We went from 1,500 square feet to now 6,500. That's great. And uh, yeah, I actually, I, I prefer uh, to go by coach now rather than personal trainer because I feel like um, I've grown so much since I was a rep counter at, uh, at 24 hour fitness to actually being able to help people solve problems, not just with their training, but with their nutrition. Um, you know, it, it just goes a little bit deeper than that now. Right. So I would imagine, I mean, as a, as a coach, instead of a personal trainer, you're, you're hitting the nutrition, you're hitting the, the, how to do weights and cardio and stuff like that, but you're also hitting the emotions that come with all of that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not 
I'm definitely not qualified to be dealing with, you know, emotional stuff. I mean, there's, there are things like I've, uh, you know, I've had quite a few people cry in the chair that you're sitting in right there. Um, I would say equal parts, my fault and equal parts, just this, some of this stuff is, uh, is emotional, (laughs) is emotional. (laughs) And, uh, so there, there are times when I've had to tell people like, you know, they, they would share something with me and it's like, you know, I'm really not qualified to deal with this at all, you know, and at the risk of making this problem worse, I can't comment. Like I can't, I can't give you advice because this is a, this is a deeper problem. But I mean, for the most part, just kind of helping people have a better relationship with food because I think that's the biggest issue that I see right now is that the people are afraid of food mm-hmm. um, and we kind of need food. It's kind of a, it's one of those things that you can't live without. You got to have it. So to be afraid of something that you need on a daily basis isn't healthy. That's right. a, that's a really unhealthy uh, way to live your life and there's no need to be. Well, it's like alcoholism. You can just cut alcohol out of your life. That's not something you have to drink. I'm not saying it's better to be an alcoholic. I just feel that as far as addictions go, at least you can cut that completely out of your life. You're never, nobody's going to ever tell you, you need to have a shot of vodka to live today. But with food, you can't just cut it out. So you have to figure out how to have a healthy relationship with it. And I think that's really difficult to do. That's a, that's a great point. And it's, but however, I, I don't, I'm not trying to compare people that have issues with food to an alcoholic, right? In terms of, they're clearly different things. But, right, absolutely, absolutely. But how you deal with them can be kind of similar, right? So what is one of the first things that they do... Um, with somebody that's an alcoholic, right? When you, you know, let's just say that you go to an AA meeting and you, you know, you're ready, you're, you're, you're trying to get sober. Well, they tell you, you can't hang out with the people that you used to hang out with, right? Whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, right? You can't hang out with the people that you used to get drunk with or that you used to do drugs with. So I'm not telling you that you have to get rid of your friends, but if there are certain people that all you do when you go out with those people is eat bad things or do things that are that are not conducive with what your goals are, you might want to rethink either where you're going with that person, you know. Sometimes the hard truth is that you may have to cut some people out of your life um, or that the, I think some people fear that their friends will cut them out because they won't go do fun things with them anymore when it comes to food, right. which is kind of the reverse of that. But also, one of the big things, like you can't have alcohol in your house, right? If you're, if you're an alcoholic, you don't get to have alcohol in your house anymore. That's right. just a horrible idea. Well, if you have a bad issue with food, you obviously have to have food in your house, but you can make sure that the food in your house is at least you know, going to help you go in the right direction. If there's, you have no self-control when it comes to sweets and snacks and you know, chips and all that other stuff, so many people, it's, it's, it boggles my mind. Like They have them readily available in their house. Yeah. No, I've noticed if I'm when I'm trying to lose weight, I I won't keep that stuff in the house. But I don't know if this is true for other people. But if I am determined to eat or go on an eating binge, whatever you want to call it, I will find something. I will make good food bad food, and that's where sometimes I can get in trouble. I won't have the ice cream in my house, but maybe okay, bacon and eggs are okay. But maybe I'm gonna have more bacon and eggs than I should because I'm filling a void or whatever it is. And so I can make the good food that you're allowed to eat, I can make it bad because it's maybe the consumption is more than... So you just kind of touched on a big thing for me with my clients, which is the good food, bad food thing. And I don't play that game, right? (laughs) I I don't play the good food, bad food game because food is food, all right? 
nothing makes food bad. There is nothing that I tell my clients. There's, there's never a time when it's like, okay, well, you never get to have this. This food is bad. Um, because that kind of feeds into the, the fear of food, mm-hmm. right? When a food is bad, right, you... I don't want to say you're afraid of it, but it's, you know, that's in your cycle. I can't have that food. Right. And that weighs on your brain. And whether you, there's a, a great, uh, you guys can look this up on YouTube. It's called the marshmallow test. Have you ever heard of that before? Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been duplicated a bunch of times, but there's a really cool YouTube video um, where they basically, and they did it with kids. And they sat these, you know, I don't know, three-ish year old kids in a room. And they, they gave them a marshmallow, right? And they sat the marshmallow down in front of the kid and they said, okay, you can eat that marshmallow right now, or if you can wait 10 minutes and not eat it, when I come back, I'll give you a second one. The kids are going to eat it all right then. So that was, but that was the experiment, right? It was, it was an experiment in self-control. And there, was, there were a few kids that didn't. A lot of the kids, as soon as the lady walked out of the room, they jammed the marshmallow in their mouth. But the kids that were able to with, withstand eating, you know, to resist the temptation, did something else. They, they made themselves busy. They didn't sit there and stare at the marshmallow, you know, like it was like, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. Because when you tell somebody that's bad food, you can't have it, that's exactly what they do. They create that thing in their head where it's yeah. like, you feel rebellious. I can't have it, so I have to have it. Mm-hmm. Instead of making it a situation where it's like, well, you can, you know, I'll, I'll use the marshmallow. Like, you can have a marshmallow. You can't have the whole bag of marshmallows. But in the same thing when it comes to your food is it's not, you know, tell me, give me a food that you would think is bad what's a bad food um oh, i feel very honest pizza pizza perfect example most people say pizza or burgers or fries yeah. or something so pizza is something that you enjoy most people enjoy i like pizza you should be able to figure out how to have pizza in your life right because you're not gonna never have pizza again Let's be real here. I don't, you know, if I told you that the only key to your success was to never have pizza again, I still think most people would fail. Yes. My parents own pizza restaurants. (laughs) You're you're (laughs) double in trouble. So, but to teach those people that like you can have one to two slices of pizza, you can't have a whole pizza, right? And what it all boils down to, and, and we haven't quite gotten there yet, but it's having a plan and understanding that, you know, the reason people are so afraid of food is because they don't understand how it works. They don't understand that you get X amount of calories in a day, and as long as you stay within those calories, nothing's going to happen. You know, if you decided to eat every one of those calories in pizza, it's a bad choice because it's not going to be very much food and you're probably going to be hungry at the end of the day. Right. But nothing's going to happen. It's not until you exceed that calorie amount that you start gaining body fat, which would, you know, I guess would be bad. But it's, you know, you could just as easily gain. If you ate all of your day's calories in pizza and then the calories that put you over were chicken and broccoli, then technically it's the chicken and broccoli that made you fat. Right. No, that makes sense. I think that I know for me, if I have that piece of pizza, then I'm like, my diet's over for today. I'm just going to start over tomorrow because to me, that pizza is bad or whatever, whatever your food is. I mean, that to me is now I'm done. I just got to start over tomorrow. All right. So this, uh, we call that like the all or nothing mentality. And that is how most people function when it comes to their nutrition. And unfortunately, what I just had this conversation with one of my clients. So nutrition is not pass or fail. It's not you did everything 100% or you do or if you missed one thing, then you fail. Right. And that's how everybody looks at their nutrition. Well, a lot of people. And 
it's more like getting a grade on a test where it's like if an A plus is you hit your calories, you nailed your macros, your protein, carbs, and fat, you, your timing for your meals, like you timed everything out perfectly, um, your food quality was awesome, right? You didn't eat anything, you know, overly processed or, you know, um, you know, that's an A plus. But if you still, you know, let's just say that you didn't get your macros right on point except for your protein. So like your protein was good, but then your carbs and fat were kind of off, but you still stay within your calories. Well, that's a B, right? right. You're still going to lose body fat if you're in a deficit doing that, right? Because calories are the, the most important thing. And even if you did none of that stuff, but you kept your calories in order, and you know, let's say that that was a C for the day, you still get to lose body fat if you're in a deficit because calories are the most important thing. So even if you have that piece of pizza, if you scramble and make sure that whatever the calories were for that piece of pizza and you modify the rest of your day to stay within that allotment, you're, you're fine. fine. Yeah. But if you throw your hands up in the air and you eat a brownie and an ice cream and another piece of pizza, yeah, you did screw your whole day up. Yeah. But it would have been fine had you stopped at one. Right. I think it's hard sometimes because it's easier to say, forget it, I messed up today, so I'm just not going to do it. Like I went to, it was my nephew's birthday last week, and, last week, and my sisters and my mom and all of us went to breakfast. Mm-hmm. And my, I have two sisters, one never has had to struggle, another one not doesn't have to struggle like I do, but does does struggle, so she will watch her food. And so she was looking at the menu and she said something about getting something healthy and I was like, ugh, what's the point? Because I'm just in that mood right now. And she said, well, I know we're going to have cake tonight for dessert. So I figured I might as well just let me do something healthy now. Instead of saying, I'm going to have cake tonight, so I'm just going to eat crap all day. And I was like, that was a really smart decision. And I don't know why I haven't start your day off right. Or at least know, if you know you're going to eat like crap, at least have a good meal in you. And it's interesting how, you know, 40 years later I hear that and I'm like, Oh, that was really smart. I should start doing that instead of having pancakes. What I mean, what it all boils down to with almost everything, fitness-related questions that come my way, you know, everybody wants, they want a short answer to a, to a big problem. Like, they're only addressing, you know, a small amount of what it is. And almost everything could be fixed if you had a plan. You know what I mean? Yep. If you know, if you don't know how many calories that you need to intake then nothing really matters, you know? Like, you can make good decisions, whatever that means, but you're still guessing, right? You're, you're, you're creating this guessing game. Like, your sister is guessing, but she's probably gotten good at guessing, you right. know? Some people have that ability. Not everybody does. So a lot of times people want to point at somebody that can do it, like, well, she can do it. Yeah, good for her. Right. Right? You're not that person. Right. You know, some people drive Bentleys. I'm not that person. <laughs> right. You know, I can't point at them, but she has one. <laughs> yeah. It's... It's not helping me. Right. But what you can do is you can come up with a plan where, you know, the the bare minimum for everybody is at least understanding how much, right? Because that's the big question is it's, you know, I'm going to eat cake later on. Well, how, you know, let's, let's take it a step farther. Well, how many calories are in the cake? Right? Most people, when I look at food now, I, I, I see numbers, Right. And not all the time. Like, there's some things that I'm, I'm unsure about, but I probably don't eat that. You know, right. if I'm looking at something and I'm like, eh, I have no idea. Or, you know, there could be some, some serious calories in that. And I know that I'm getting close to what I, where I should be. I pass. 
And now that's taken years and years and years to develop those kinds of habits. But but creating a plan of like, I get, I'm just going to throw out a number. You get 2,000 calories today, right? And just because you've started paying attention, right? Paying attention to your food is is a huge step in the right direction. And you know that, you know, one piece of birthday cake, because you looked it up, is about 250 calories, right? So that means you've got to have at least that, if you want to have a piece of birthday cake, you got to have 250 calories left by the time you get there, right? Well, then what are we having for breakfast? You know, you went out for breakfast. So if I know that things are going to get sketchy at the end of the day, I want to I choose things on the menu that I'm pretty confident in. Eggs. We're having breakfast. Eggs. I know that each egg is about 70 calories, right? I'm going to tell them to hold the butter in my meal so they can't sneak any extra calories into right. what I'm eating. I know that each strip of bacon is probably about 90 calories. So you could have bacon and eggs for roughly 350, 400 calories. That's not a bad breakfast. Right. Right? I mean, Especially that's... at the beginning of the day when you're hopefully are going to burn some of those off, right? Yeah. And you just, <laughs> and again, it's just having a plan. And I mean, that's essentially what I do is I, I, I help people write that plan. You know, it's not, I don't just tell people like make a plan. Right. But showing people, giving people the steps and the tools to do that. You know, my fitness pal, I, I can't even go through this without mentioning my fitness pal. If you're not using that, get on that it is it is amazing to me that it's still free i know i cannot believe that they have not started i mean there's a paid version of it right but i have clients that have both it doesn't matter paid version is it's barely worth it yeah but it's so user-friendly there's there's a gigantic database of food in there i mean you can scan labels Mm mm-hmm I mean, it doesn't. It literally doesn't get any easier than that. Yeah, it's like the Weight Watchers. Yeah. yeah, and even if even if between now and the end of the year, and we're literally doing this at the gym right now. This is because I don't do challenges. I hate that. We'll talk about that later. But <laughs> um, even if between now and the end of the year, all you did was log your food. That's it. Just log your food. Log what you eat. You know, you don't have to change anything. You can. And I bet you will when you start logging your food. Nobody wants to see it in writing. <laughs> but if you started doing like that would be such good practice. And have you actually ready to start a diet come New Year if that's what you're planning on doing. But if you think that on New Year's, and we just had this conversation, like if you think on New Year's or December 31st that somehow you're magically going to get bestowed this knowledge on what to do and how to make a plan, it ain't going to happen. You're going to get to January 1st and you're going to think exactly the way you do right now and you're not going to know what to do. And You think that motivation is going to push you. That motivation is going to give you all that knowledge. And that, I mean, silly. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, motivation is great. But motivation is, is, it's the engine, right? It's the engine in the car. But you still got to have all the other parts of the car for it to go anywhere. Yeah. You put, put an engine on the ground, it's not going anywhere. Right. right? I mean, so. we'll get you to the gym and then... And then an engine, an engine by itself isn't getting you anywhere. <laughs> That's true. You know, so you got to have wheels, you got to have a body, you got to have seats, and like you know, these are the parts of the plan. Like right. the engine can make it go forward. So how do you determine? I mean, just if I wasn't going to talk to somebody like you, how do you know how many calories you're supposed to have to lose to put you in a deficit? So the the answer to that is one that most people don't like because it's trial and error, right? So. Um, you can Google um, BMR, base metabolic rate. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Or BMR calculator. And it'll ask you for your height, your weight, your age, um, some other stuff. And it'll spit out like what ca- you know, how many calories that you burn at rest, 
And then from there, it's a matter of guesstimating your daily activity. If you're really, really active, maybe close to 500 more. If you're pretty sedentary, closer to 200. Um, and then you play with it. You know, that's one of the things that when you work with a coach like myself, like I've done this a few thousand times. So I've gotten pretty good. Anybody, unless they're using some really, really expensive equipment, everyone is guessing. Anybody that tells you they know how many calories, they're all guessing. Right. But I've gotten pretty good at that. I mean, it's an educated guess. Right, of course. And then we see what happens, right? Your body will tell the story. If you're in a deficit, over the course of the next two weeks, your weight should come down a little bit. If you're at maintenance, you should stay the same. If you're in a surplus, you should gain weight. And then from there, we know. You know what I mean? It takes that first two weeks to kind of see what's, you know, what's going on. I always err on this on the lower side of things. Obviously, I'm not trying to make people gain weight. Right. Um, but then from there, it's just it's small adjustments over time. And So what about like having, I mean, I wear a Fitbit every day just because I'd like to know. Now, is that a good way to kind of monitor your physical activity? It's not bad. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not accurate, if that's, not? if that's what you're asking. But what I, people that have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or, you know, what I use those things for is, as we talked about before we started this, your body is going to fight you the whole time. And what you will notice over time is the same activity, or at least what you think is the same activity, won't burn as many calories. And when it starts to happen, when, when what we're doing went from, let's say, burning in the 2,000 calories that we wanted it to, and all of a sudden it's down to like 1,800, and you didn't change anything that you're aware of, same workouts, same nutrition, same everything, that's your body kind of trying to compensate and slow itself down, that's when we can start making adjustments to your program. Okay. So not that I, I mean, I would see it anyways. It's just that, that sometimes that can give me a heads up a little sooner than, right. than waiting, you know, three more days for the check-in, right. so to speak. Right. But it's not That's a bad thing. Um, okay. Well, I mean, for my, I mainly use it cause I like to, if I'm going to go for a hike, I want to know how many miles I went. You know, I don't necessarily look at the calories and be like, oh my gosh, I burned 500 calories. I understand that that's not necessarily accurate because the Fitbit oh, yeah, the, doesn't know how much I weigh. Correct. The, the Fitbit doesn't know if fine. I'm holding yeah. weights or, you know, whatever extra I'm doing. I, so I, I just like to know for distance and I kind of like, when I start working out, I can get anal about the steps. Um, in my business, when I'm working with my hands, that makes my Fitbit count. So I know... I'm not, I'm moving, but I'm moving my arms. I'm not necessarily moving my right. legs. So I understand how it can definitely become inaccurate. Okay. So somebody um, did ask me to ask you this. If hitting the gym is totally out of the question, um, busy with the holidays, kids, whatever, um, what can you do at home to squeeze a workout into, um, into your day? Because um, I know you can go on Pinterest or really anywhere these days. And here's an eight-minute workout. It's going to change your life. You're going to be fit in two weeks. <laughs> like, does, is there any merit to any of those? So if, if you're on Pinterest looking for an eight-minute workout, it will change your life because it will make you incredibly sore because that's what those workouts – anybody that's trying to cram an actual workout into eight minutes is probably going to kill the person that's looking for that workout, right? Because they're probably not working out very much. Right. So – Then you feel like it's working because if you're sore, then clearly this eight-minute workout did its job. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's – People want to be told what they want to hear. Yes. And, I mean, in, in everything. So if you feel like you don't have enough time to work out, and that's something that you've decided in your head, like, I don't have, 
I don't have time to work out. That's, you know, if there I like was, how you say that. If there was if there was only a program that was eight minutes long, that would be perfect. So what do tra- trainers kind of put together these eight minute things because they know that's what people want to hear is it's like you can you can have everything you ever wanted. And I know these other people work out for hours at a time. They're just wasting time. But you, <laughs> you can have it in eight minutes because of the sequence that I put together. It's super special. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Yeah. And it's, it's better than nothing. It's, oh, it's absolutely better it's than nothing. Moving. I would never, like, I'm not a fan of P90X. I have a lot of issues with it. But it did get a lot of people off their butts and exercising, which is a plus. So I'm never going to turn my nose up at somebody that is doing exercise that is awesome do that over doing nothing however you know when you ask me you know the the answer to that question is what are they trying to accomplish and that are you are you trying to lose body fat and and make progress in eight minutes Nah, that's not gonna happen right if you are doing it because you're just trying to at, at best maintain where you currently are and, and break a little bit of a sweat because that's literally the only time you have, it is absolutely better than nothing. But if you stood in a room and let's just say, for example, that you could sprint, right? Take, take standing in a room, you can't sprint in a room. You went out to a field and you were capable of holding a full sprint for eight minutes, right? Sprinting is one of the most exhausting physical activities that you can do. You can't sprint for eight minutes, but let's say you could. How many calories do you think that you could possibly burn in eight minutes? Feels like a lot. No? If you could burn 300 calories sprinting for eight minutes, I would be surprised. Wow. Even though it's so hard on your body, you think you'd be burning more no. calories. Three, I mean, I'm, I'm completely guessing at this. Say it's 400, right? But that's not what you're doing, right? You're not sprinting. You're doing something and you're taking a rest. You know, you're, you're trying to push yourself as much as you can. It's just, it's not enough to make that big of a difference. Now, if you were also pairing that with a restrictive diet, in other words, like you were, you had a plan with your nutrition and you were also restricting calories and that was just your little extra boost to burn some more calories. Yeah, we can make some progress with that. But I'm betting that most people aren't doing that. They're trying to use that as like a Band-Aid. Right. So in, instead of. Yeah. They're trying, to, they're trying to put a Band-Aid over the problem that is their nutrition and lack of exercise. Right. So five-minute abs, probably not going to happen. Is there a five-minute abs now? I've seen well, eight-minute abs. Oh, I, oh, is that the lowest now? Eight-minute abs. I don't abs. know. I've seen like the 10-minute abs and, and all that. But well, if on, you've got fat, you can't see those abs. But the guy on the, that guy on... Uh, Something about Mary had seven minute abs. Remember that was that was the new thing. I mean, it's just it's. I mean, I you know we all look at that and think, okay, that's just stupid. But you're just, you help. You you're want hopeful. it to be true yes. so bad. So you try, you try, and then you realize, okay, that's not going to do anything. Because if you're not going to burn the calories, then we know that that's not going to. Well, it's. I mean, it's to me that's no different than people that think that the pill that the you know they sell on late night TV is the is the solution. Yeah. Uh, to their problem. and That's going to burn the fat. Yeah. Yeah. I fought those. I didn't do anything. Because <laughs> I, I know. I know. But you just, you, they are so convincing at three o'clock in the morning. You just well, they make it, the, the way that I've always looked at it is like, they make it so cheap that people are like, eh, what do I, you know, 15 right. bucks. Right. Or but free if, to the first 300 callers. Right. But if they had magic in a bottle, would they be selling that for $15? 
know. No. I know. Because I know. that's that's like we want to get it, we want to get this out to as many people as we can because we care so much about helping right. We're doing people. us a favor. I know. Right. I know. I, I know. I, I mean, I don't. The fact that I get this in skincare but can't get this in, in exercise and diet is beyond me. Okay, so um, if you're trying to stay on track during the holidays, um, how can you do it at parties without bringing your own food? For example, like Thanksgiving or Christmas coming up or any holiday party. So, the, so again, by stay on track, do you mean like you have a plan and you're trying to stay within your calories? Yeah, you're, tr- you're actively, you know, trying to, you know, lose Wait. Okay. So if you're, if, if you have a plan already in place and you're, you know, you, you have an idea of the calories you're supposed to consume, you can, you can attack this one of two ways. You can eat right before you go, right? And do your best, you know, to just not eat at said party. Not a lot of fun, right? It is an option. Right. You can eat literally right before you go. You can try and load up with, um, fibrous vegetables before you go, which will, it'll fill you up quite a bit. Um, and then if you, while you go to the party, if you drink like club soda or, you know, something sparkling that tends to also kind of increase the effect of feeling full because it's carbonated. Right. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can bet on certain things being at holiday parties, right? There's going to be some kind of protein there, right? Um, if you know the person throwing the party, you can always ask them, like, hey, what's what's going to be there? And then you can plan it out in my fitness pal ahead of time. Again, I can't stress my fitness pal enough. Like, it is amazing. But if you can get, you know, from whoever's hosting the party, like, hey, what kind of food are you guys going to have? And then you could you could literally, in my fitness pal, prepare out a meal that fits within whatever you're trying to do. Um, if not, again, you can look at what that meal for you is supposed to be. So let's just say that it's supposed to be 30 grams of protein, 40 grams of carbohydrates, and 10 grams of fat. Um, again, you can go there and eyeball. Not the best way to do things, especially if you're just starting out, but you can go there and you can grab some turkey for your protein, and you can grab a roll for your carbohydrates. And then depending on, um, you know, or you can save the fat and the carbohydrates for a piece of pie. I mean, you, you just got to learn how to kind of manipulate those things. So you can still enjoy it. You just have to have a plan. That's your biggest message here is have a plan for what you're doing. The, the biggest thing, even if you're going to, and what we talked about is most of the people that are worried about Thanksgiving didn't care about anything they did for the other 360 something, you know, well, it's not 60 yet, but... 300 and however many days a year, but all of a sudden they're worried about Thanksgiving. I Thanksgiving, told you it was food guilt. <laughs> Thanksgiving isn't going to matter when you didn't care for the rest of the year. The only, you know, when people ask me that, I say, well, what have you been doing up until now? Whatever I want. Well, then just keep doing that. Like, it's not, why, why make oh, yourself so miserable on Thanksgiving? Because Thanksgiving feels like it's such a big meal and you're supposed to really enjoy it. It's like Thanksgiving is all about food. It's not about giving thanks. It's about food, unfortunately. Right. So why why make yourself miserable on that one day <laughs> when guilt. you weren't, you know, it didn't matter it's before silly. that. I know. It's silly. But when you struggle, you just, these are things you think about, you know. It's, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. Anyways, okay. So go with a plan. Wherever you're to a party, Thanksgiving, whatever. Just yeah. go with a plan. Okay. So if you um, know, like I was telling you earlier, my sister, um, she loves Thanksgiving so much that she doesn't eat the entire day and then she saves her meal for that meal sounds like a plan so you're saying there's nothing wrong with that because that's her calories i mean she doesn't have to watch her calories but if she were to that's it there's nothing wrong with doing that eating once a day 
long term. Not all the time. Right. But for something for like day, that. You could make a case for almost anything once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I had this friend who used to do um, once a year around, it was either Christmas time or Thanksgiving, where they would just eat pie at their house all day. Oh, like, that fantastic. was... That was their that was their holiday thing, and like they made pies and they ate pies, and it was like that's all he ate all day, right? And is that a great idea? No, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> Sounds like a great day. <laughs> but for one day, who cares? It's yeah. not it's not that big a deal. And I think that back to that whole being afraid of food is it's like most people that would I mean that would automatically mean that you gained ten pounds if all you ate was pie. Well, not really. If you have an amount of calories and, you know, you kept it within those calories. Right. And, you and it's one day yeah. instead of one week. I think that's, you know, like I was telling you before, you, it's either it's all or nothing. Either, well, I blew it, forget it, I'm just going to waste my whole day. Instead of like, well, this was one bad meal, that's okay. Now I'm going to get back on track. Now mm-hmm. I'm going to eat my vegetables instead of eating another piece of pie. But even an even more powerful thing mentally is that you planned it. Right. And that gets rid of the guilt for a lot of people. So when we, you know, when I talk to my clients about this... The guilt comes from you're worried about it up until then you do what you knew you were going to do anyways and you eat whatever the hell you wanted to and then you feel bad about it mm-hmm. as opposed to having the plan like, no, I'm going to enjoy myself on Thanksgiving. That was the plan. Right. That was, you know, that was what I was going to do all along and you don't feel bad about it. Right. And it's, I don't use, I try to stay away from using like the cheat meal thing because that again, using terms like that puts a negative connotation on it. Right. So when I say, you know, go have a cheat meal. Cheating is not good. Right. Like cheating in almost any part of life is <laughs> a bad is a life. bad thing. Right. Yeah. You cheat death. But so you, you're telling somebody that they can do something that they think is bad. Right. So just be like, yes, you, they have permission. But in the back of their head, it's like, oh, I really shouldn't be doing this. As opposed to saying like, no, no, no. What we call them is that you're going to have a maintenance meal. Right. You're going to have a meal that's going to put you right up to the amount of calories that you're allowed to have. And it's okay to do that because nothing's going to happen because you're at maintenance. Right. Right. And you stress and you stress the overall message here that it's all about your calorie intake. It doesn't, you know, whatever you had to get there isn't as relevant as the amount that you had. Right. And that takes away a lot of that guilt that you're talking about because it's, it was all part of the plan. It was okay. I gave you permission. Go you know, not that you need my permission, but... But sometimes you feel like you do. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go to somebody who's teaching you how to work out, how to eat right, you want somebody, you just you want that permission sometimes. I need you to tell me it's okay to eat this because then I don't have to feel guilty. And a lot of times that's in the beginning as a, as a coach like that, that is what you're doing. You are, you're giving them permission to... Um, I don't want to say to eat food, but I mean, there. I we talked about the whole carbophobia thing, right? Like, that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. That's It sounds really funny, but there are women that are scared to death of carbohydrates. That they think in their head that as soon as they eat one carbohydrate, that equals fat gain immediately. Yeah. Because um, you feel it. So if you feel it, then it happened. It's that feeling thing again. <laughs> but... You know, and you have you have to reteach these people, and you have I mean I have to give them permission. Like you can eat carbohydrates; it's okay. Nothing's gonna happen. It's just food, you know. And it's it you have to retrain their brain and how they think about things. And that's one of the biggest problems that I have about these fad diets is they villainize, you know, entire 
kinds of food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you know it's keto or paleo or uh, I don't know whatever. Oh, they they teach you that like this this type of food, every type of food that's this type of food is bad, and you can't have this. And they see results with said diet of whatever it is. And they think that it's because they took away that devil food, right? It's that whatever that thing was like, oh, that was it. Absolutely. When they don't realize that the only reason that that worked was that it just lowered their calorie intake. You know, if you and take... And then they probably increase their activity. Or, I mean, that could be part of it too. But, I mean, if you... If I took... If you changed nothing else about your diet right now except to remove all the carbohydrates, you ate exactly the same, you know, bad, quote-unquote, bad food and all... Except carbohydrates. How many calories do you think you would drop out of your nutrition plan? Oh, significant. I love a carbs. A ton. <laughs> and you would see a drop in weight. Yep. You would see a change. And that's, you know, the magic of keto. Right. When it's, I'm, I'm, and it's, I'm not saying that keto doesn't work. I'm saying that the only reason it works is because it lowered your calorie intake. And if that's the reason, why not just observe what you're eating and do it with less pain? Right. And less, you know... It's so much more work to do these more specific diets. Because I've done the low carb. I've done keto. I tried paleo, I think, for like two days. And I was like, that's that's a little too that's oh. a little too extreme for me. Yeah. But you try these things and you just think, of, okay, this is what I do. This is going to work. Mm-hmm. And it does. Of course it does. But then you go back and you, you, experience, you have to live your life. And it's just not always possible. I mean, you can make it possible, but it just makes your life so much harder. To constantly have to make sure that wherever you go, you're okay with food. That you have your own or you've made your own or whatever it is. And I think then you ultimately fail because... But you forgot one of the most the important parts of being keto. Is taking pictures of your food and posting oh. it on Instagram <laughs> with hashtag keto. Because that is... Because you're proud of it. That is the Look what I did today. Most important part of <laughs> being so on keto. It really is. I think. Well, you know, I think people like taking pictures of their food in general. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next question was, how do you feel about cheat days? But I think we've already. Uh, I think you covered that already. Um, and then, does it matter how late you eat? So you know, if you're going to eat, like I used to do, like intermittent fasting, and the reason I did it because I didn't feel any other difference. But the reason I did it is because I would stop eating at seven o'clock. And that just like that means I couldn't snack, and it just kind of stopped me from snacking. From and do, I like from, that from doing what? From snacking. From eating from, more calories. From eating more calories, exactly, exactly. So that's why I liked it because it made me just mindless eating while you're watching TV or you know whatever. But people have said that it really helped them lose weight. So you're saying it's just because of the calories. So if I eat dinner, say I don't get home from work and I eat dinner at nine o'clock at night. Is that worse for me than somebody who's going to eat dinner at 7? I don't get out of the... I'm going to answer your question with an example. Okay. Right? I don't typically get out of this gym until 8 o'clock at night, 8.15. I don't get home until at least 8.30. I'm probably eating my dinner every single night at around 9 o'clock. Right? And for me, it's, it's at least five or 600 calories when I have dinner at night. Um and two years ago, a year ago, two years ago, because I, I, I do experiments often on myself when I see stuff like this because everybody, intermittent fasting is one of my favorite um, kind of fad diets right now. And it's, you know, it's, I ju- it's, again, I don't want to say that it doesn't work. I just want to tell you why it works. And it's the same reason that every diet ever has worked. But and I think that's important to yeah. know why. 
and you can do that, right? You can do the whole, like, I don't eat past seven o'clock, right? And you're, you're putting a restriction on yourself. Just know that you could put the same restriction on yourself in terms of your calories all day so that you have enough calories left at the end of the day. That doesn't work. <laughs> this is why it doesn't work. Because if you're doing, inter- for me personally, if you're doing intermittent fasting, so you're stopping eating whatever you're, I did 16-8. So I would stop at a set 7 and then I couldn't eat until 11. But if I allowed myself to just have a snack at 7.30... That means that was a half hour later that I wouldn't be able to eat the next day. And I wake up really early, so not being able to, I'm up for six hours before I can have my first meal. And that could be hard. So it made me stop because the later I went, the harder it was the next day. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, but I guess back to what I was saying of what if you just better rationed out your calories so that you could eat longer throughout the day? So in other words... If you have 2,000 calories and we broke that down into four or 500 calorie meals, right? And you got to eat one when you woke up and you got to eat one at 11, 12 o'clock. You got to eat another one at four. You got to eat another one at eight. And you got 500 calories for each one of those meals and we're in the exact same place. Or you just eat all of those calories before seven o'clock and then be starving at night. I don't know. It feels like a mental game then. I don't know. I mean, your way makes sense logically, obviously, but from, I, I guess maybe why I don't succeed at losing weight is for me, it's, I have to stop. If I stop, I'm, I'm good. I don't have to play the game the whole day. I just have to stop here at this time. So until, and then I can stop thinking, but I mean, so yes, that works until you eat too much food before seven o'clock. Right. Because you're allowed this window, yeah. and supposedly you're allowed to eat whatever you want in that window, you know? Which is literally never true. Of course it's not. It's so silly. And I've, and I've challenged several people that, you know, th- there's this, this mystery or this magic around intermittent fasting and keto. And it's like, okay, if what you're saying is true and the calories don't matter, then you eat 7,000 calories for a week. And on your keto or your intermittent fasting thing, you eat 7,000 calories and don't gain any weight. None of them have taken me up on the offer, but if if they are not willing to do that, then they can't deny the fact that calories matter. Right. Right. And if cal and if they can agree that calories matter, then the only reason that their diet works is that it inadvertently is getting people to lower their calorie intake. And as soon as they are not, as soon as you have a bad day and in your window of time allows you to have a pint of ice cream or whatever it is. <laughs> So and you stupid. and you overeat those calories, the magic's gone. Right. You're not, you know, you're no longer going to be losing any weight. Right. Okay, so as long as we're talking about this, so what about intermittent, um, the fasting cardio where you're, when you wake up and you're not eating for still a certain amount of hours and you're supposed to go to the gym and you do cardio and then what's happening is, this is what I've heard, not saying it's true, but you're on the treadmill and instead of just, you're not just burning calories, but you're also burning that fat and that's going to help you lose even more weight because there's nothing in your stomach except for whatever you ate the day before. So, yeah, the idea, so fasted cardio has been tested and retested and tested again, and it has been shown to, I mean, such a slight advantage over non-fasted cardio that it's 
almost pointless. It's almost pointless to do it. it now, if you want to have that, like, it's less than it's less than five percent difference. And if being miserable while you do cardio <laughs> is worth that to you, or you could just oh eat gosh. like a hundred less calories and have breakfast before you do cardio, because again, it's your it's your energy balance over the course of a day, and and really it's more like a week. But we have to break it down into days because that's how we all decide. You know, a day is a day. Right. So, if you get to the end of your day, right. Let's just say you did your fasted cardio in the morning, right? And you, you know, you burned your 400 calories and it all came directly from fat. So you think. But you didn't eat a calorie deficit that day, right? You ate at maintenance level. Your body's going to put the fat that supposedly was burned during your fasted cardio right back into the cells. So, again, if you end your day in a calorie deficit, no matter how it was created you're going to, you know, your body's going to pull from fat stores. If you don't, then even if you, you know, supposedly created this bigger calorie, you know, this, you burned a higher percentage of your calories from fat, it will put it back in if you overeat. Right. Right. So what you're saying is there's no way to lose weight except for burning calories. Correct. (laughs) Okay. I'm trying to ask different questions and you're just not changing your answer. now, Now, fasted cardio burns calories. For sure. Right. But here's, here's, I've done many, many a, a cardio session in my day, especially when I was bodybuilding. I mean, when you're getting ready for a show, I was doing two, sometimes three hours in a day, right? Exactly. On very low calories. And if there's one thing that I did notice, it's that on super low calories, the, um, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, my determination or my uh, ability to perform cardio at a high level was not there on low calories. So with food in your stomach, the question is, would having the food in your stomach push you to work harder during that cardio session and then burn more calories than the fasted cardio with no food in your stomach? So we have, you know, a 30-minute cardio session. And with no food in your stomach, you go five miles, and with food in your stomach, you go six miles. Does that cancel it out? Does that cancel out the advantage of having no food in your stomach? That just makes so much sense. And that's the thing. Sometimes you just need somebody to break it down for you and tell you why you're wasting. You're spinning wheels. Yeah. And Car- none of it's making sense. Cardio is not fun. I mean, well, I guess it depends on the person. If people like running. I don't understand those people. But... <laughs> Cardio is not fun, and it's you know you get your headphones, get a no, get a Netflix series, um, you know, and zone out. But doing it with an empty stomach is for sure going to make it more miserable. And for me, with my clients, I don't want to make anything more miserable. Right? Some of this stuff is already going to suck. So the you know the five percent that they might get, but making their lives more miserable isn't worth it to me. Right. So I don't I don't recommend fasted cardio for any of my clients. So now you just triggered something because I told you that I had uh, personal training in my 20s. And he would always say to us, make sure you eat before you get here. And we trained at like 6, seven, or, six or 7 in the morning. And I'm not a breakfast person. When I wake up, I don't want to eat. And so I tried that a couple times with him and I got really sick because I needed to eating have or not something. Eating. Not eating. Not eating. So I, cause I just wasn't in the mood. I don't want to eat. And so I would, and then I would get super sick, but I've 
just light bulb moment just now is I because I do that when I do go to the gym workout in the morning I'm not eating before but I'm fine and now I'm realizing I wasn't really pushing myself when I'm on the treadmill you also told me when we talked earlier that you you lifted weights with this trainer and you're not lifting weights now no that's a big reason yeah so here we obviously recommend that everybody eats before they come in because we're we're lifting weights when they get here and you can see it. Like we actually keep a big tub of powdered Gatorade in the gym because you can watch people's blood sugar drop. Like you see it in their face. You can see it. I mean, you, you will pass out. Yeah. Like it is. Yeah. I, get it. I got dizzy the couple times where I'm like, eh, I'm not going to eat. Because weight training. So cardio. Okay. Let's get a little sciency on you. Cardio is burning. It's, it's. It's an aerobic energy system, which means it's it's burning energy mostly from your fat, right? Fat is the primary fuel source when you're doing like slow cardio. Weight training is carbohydrate. That's its main fuel source. It wants to use uh, carbohydrates to burn through while you're lifting weights. So you come into the gym and you don't eat anything, your body could probably be fine because it's using fat stores for that energy to do long, slow trudging cardio but you go and lift weights and you have no food in your stomach and your body will burn through your muscle glycogen especially because you probably haven't eaten in six seven hours if you've been sleeping your muscle glycogen will be gone in the in the warm-up that we do now you've got nothing you have no energy and your your fat stores are not going to be able to supply the energy needed to move those weights your blood sugar drops and i mean Fortunately, we've never had anybody pass out on us, but that's why we keep Gatorade. That sugar will snap people out of right. uh, that drop in blood sugar, and then they never do that again. Right. So fasted cardio definitely would... I mean, you can do the treadmill and stuff like that, but definitely don't try to do strength training or anything like that. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like I'm planning on training as soon as we finish here. Like I'm going to need to eat a decent meal before I go in there, or I know I won't make it through my workout. It's... So food is fuel, and that's just what it comes down to. So as long as we're still talking about this specifically, um, so um, my brother, uh, both my brothers have always, like, done basketball, so they've always been into working out and and stuff like that. And my brother told me one time that one of the best times to eat is right after a workout because your body's still going. And I don't know if it's a metabolism thing. I mean, this is 15 years ago he told me this. So I don't remember exactly what he was explaining to me, but he said it'll burn it faster if you eat directly after. Um, I recommend that people eat after their workout, but not, so again, it's, it's a mind, sh- it's a, it's a way of thinking. So the reason that you want to eat after a workout is for recovery purposes. Um, what he may have been confusing, like, I don't know about burning it faster, um, but your body, like your metabolism was going already. Your, your body needs stuff, right? It, it needs protein, it needs carbohydrates, it needs it doesn't really need any fat, but it needs that stuff afterwards, right? You've conceivably torn down your muscle tissue. You need protein to recover that. You've depleted your body's glycogen storage, carbohydrate storage. It needs carbs to put back in to your muscles and your liver. So, yeah, it, I mean, in that window, and they, they used to call it the workout window. And again, it was one of those, like, there's like this magic 30 minutes at the end of your workout. What they now know is it's more like a workout barn door, right? Like, there's a pretty big period of time when, you know, as long as you get in some protein and carbohydrates in there, you're okay. But yeah, um, what you can, what you can take advantage of post-workout 
is depending on the type of carbohydrates, I would recommend uh, simple, right? And we have the difference between simple and, com- and complex. Complex, isn't that like bread? So simple Pasta. is pretty much sugar. This is a pretty simple way to say it. Like any, any, any form of sugar is going to be a simple carbohydrate. And using that, because what you're going to get is a, a spike in insulin. And a lot of people demonize insulin like that's the reason everybody's fat. Um, but insulin is really, it's, it's one of the most anabolic hormones in your body. And by anabolic, I mean like regenerative, right? It's, it's, it'll, it'll help you recover. Because what it's going to do is it's going to take, so your blood sugar goes up. I'm trying to keep this together here. <laughs> blood sugar increases, body secretes insulin. Insulin grabs the sugar in your bloodstream and it's a, it's a, they call it a driver, right? It drives that stuff into your cells, into your muscle cells. Um, but if you have protein in there and the amino acids that are broken, it'll grab that too. So now it's going to stuff your carbohydrate or the the uh, the sugar or the carbohydrates and the amino acids into your muscles and speed up the process, as opposed to like the amino acids would get there anyways. It just might take a little bit longer to kind of get right. there on their own. But that insulin can actually help. Okay. Uh, so there is a home. benefit then. There's it. a benefit, but it's definitely not just because it burns it faster. Right. Okay. I thought I was like got excited when I I always try to do that after I work out. Now I know it's completely different. Yeah. Um, okay. And then um, sleep. Does that really affect losing weight? Lack Absolutely. Why? Um, so sleep does not. Uh, it's got nothing to do with calories. Um, in and of itself. However, and I just, I was just listening to a podcast about this. Your body loves consistency, right? Um, it even loves to consistently be the same weight and that's why it fights you to try and lose weight. So the more consistency that you can create in your life, the easier it's going to be for you to get your body to do something. Okay. So when I, when I first set up a program with somebody, you know, we talk about priorities, right? When it comes to your nutrition, like calories are the most important. Then we work our way down to macronutrients. Then we work our way down to timing. And if you are eating at the same times and you're going to bed at the same times and you're getting the same amount of sleep, like you're creating all this consistency. However, and your workout times matter too. If you're somebody that you, you train in the morning, always train in the morning. You train in the evening, always train in the evening. Oh, interesting. Sometimes people don't have an option, but if you change around your workout routine, then you want to change around your eating routine. Ideally, you know, again, we're talking about the A plus person here. Right. So back to sleep, people that don't get enough sleep, studies have shown that they actually consume more food during the day. It, it creates a, it triggers something in the brain back to like hunter-gatherer stuff. And I, I hate saying that because I know that's what people say with paleo BS. But, Caveman diet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of mechanisms in our brain that are all about survival. Um, you know, one of the reasons that your body starts to slow down its metabolism when you're dieting is is self-preservation. Your body doesn't want to get rid of its fat stores because that's what it has to rely on. So that's one of the reasons we, you and I talked about the, we don't want to have a gigantic calorie deficit because your body will opt to get rid of muscle over fat, right? As right. a self-preservation tool. Your body can't burn muscle for, for energy very efficiently. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not great but it can burn fat really efficiently for energy. So it wants to hold on to that. It'll get rid of muscle down to the minimums of like, I can walk and stay alive. Yeah, yeah. So with sleep, the, the act of not sleeping or, or irregular sleep patterns, it, it's, it screws with 
your hunger is because you're I'm trying to your hunger is is just a chemical reaction right the fact that you're hungry is just a chemical response to your brain your brain kind of flipping a switch so to speak so all of those all of those hormones all those things get to kind of reset when you sleep that's why sleep is so important it allows your body to kind of yeah reset so if your sleep is is sporadic in other words it's three hours five hours seven hours those chemicals are not getting their a, a, a chance to kind of um so what i'm looking for find a baseline right so you're hungry when you shouldn't be hungry you're tired when you shouldn't be tired like things just start to get off things off track and most people the average person thinks that like well i'm hungry i should eat right and they don't think about like but i just ate right or do i you know why am i hungry and there's another there's another conversation between hunger and cravings right because that's the other thing is you could start craving weird things um and i'm definitely i'm not an endocrinologist i'm not i am in no way an expert on this stuff but i can tell you that there's some good evidence uh in studies that have been done in terms of not enough sleep and people consuming more calories during the day, I think that makes more sense just because they're awake longer. The longer you're, the longer you're awake, the more yeah. chance you have to eat food. Yeah. Um, and in my own personal practice with my clients, people that work night shifts, people that have not normal sleep patterns really, really struggle with their, with their body fat. Um, so I'm sure there's a much more techie response than that. Uh, but if you're not... Six to seven hours is like a bare minimum. So if we talk about consistency, now I've had insomnia since for 20 years now, and it's it's a struggle. I'm up the last two nights, I don't even know how much sleep I got, and but that's normal for me. I can function because my body it's been so long that I just get used to it. And so, isn't there something to be said about the consistency of inconsistency? I don't feel comfortable, and I, whatever I say right now would just be my opinion. Okay, and I'll take it. And I'll take your opinion. And it's not backed by anything. Other I'm than not that. the only one who experiences insomnia. I'm sure, okay. especially as a woman. So trying to lose weight, consistently inconsistent. So, just from I'll talk about what I do know. When you work out, right, you don't get bigger and stronger from lifting weights. You get bigger and stronger from recovering from lifting weights, okay? Okay. So strictly on a training basis, if you come into the gym on Monday and we do an upper body workout, right, and we train your chest and your back and your arms and your shoulders, you're not technically going to be ready to train. Now, assuming that your recovery is sufficient, you're consuming the calories that you need, protein, carbohydrates, like you're doing that, and sleeping, you should be ready to train again on Wednesday, we can do the exact same workout again on Wednesday. We gave you a day off to recover. Wednesday, you're good to go, okay? But you didn't sleep. So you're not fully recovered, okay? So now, I'm progression is a huge deal at this gym. Like, that's, that's literally what everything is based off of, is that we have to keep making something harder all the time. So, and I'm going to use a basic example that everybody's know, everybody knows. Bench press. You did three sets of ten of 50 pounds on Monday, all right? Well, on Wednesday, I'm going to expect you to do three sets of 10 with 55 pounds. Keep this real easy. But you didn't recover enough and you can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you, tried, you tried 55 pounds 
and you can only get eight reps, right? You did three sets of eight. Well, we didn't really increase the stimulus to your body, right? Pretty similar, right? You, I mean, you did 55, but you didn't do as many reps, so it's kind of a wash. And then you don't recover again, but this time... Okay, so we're going to start now with... Because um, we got disconnected a little bit. So we'll start with the... Um, if someone's actively trying to lose weight, how much cardio and strength training should you do? And how many times a week? I understand it's a general question, not a specific. To so a that's, that's always going to be a very individual thing. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, uh, workout videos don't work very well. Because they're, they're making recommendations for a gigantic group of people that they've never met before and they don't. So um, one of the benefits of what I do is that I do, I get to assess the individual and I get to make recommendations like that. So if I was talking to somebody that has no experience with weight training, they've never done anything like that, um, I would recommend three days a week to start with and I would see how they respond to that. And I would probably not give them any cardio to start with. Um, there's really, um, and the reason for that is I'm a big believer in the minimum effective dose. Um, basically, like I only want to give somebody enough work to get them the maximum results at that moment. So, less is more. Not necessarily less is more, but if my goal for you, and, it, and this is my goal, is one percent of your body weight a week, right? That's it. Any more, okay. any more than that, and we start risking muscle loss, which is why The Biggest Loser is a sham. But such a good show. That's not. <laughs> I hate that show. From any, my perspective, <laughs> any good coach or trainer hates that show. Yeah. Um, but it's any more than that, and we're and we're defeating the purpose of losing because it's not fat anymore; it's muscle. So if I can get you to lose one percent just training three days a week, which is not unheard of with somebody that's never trained with weights before, why am I going to make you do cardio if I if it's not necessary? Right. See, and that that just blows my mind because I just have always been told that cardio is how you lose the weight and strength training is how you become fit toned you see that you see that muscle you know but you you gotta have the cardio to actually lose lose the weight well that's and that's the other thing is the only the only reason to do cardio the only reason that i even prescribe cardio to people is so that they can eat more food so in other words if 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 i had a client who hates cardio which i have frequently and they're willing to eat less food in exchange for not doing cardio, they don't have to do cardio. So three times a week strength training when you're actively trying to lose weight for the general person, not a specific person, is average, is about right. So here's, here's the mind blower for a lot of people. And I've talked about this before um, on, my, uh, on my mom's page, which is you don't need to exercise to lose weight. It can help. Right. It, no, excuse me. It will absolutely help. But if you're if you just decreased your calorie intake to the point where you're in a calorie deficit, which would be pretty low with no with no activity, you could still lose body fat. There is the only reason that we lift weights or that I advocate for lifting weights is that it makes sure that we keep or gain muscle while we're dieting, which is a big that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. And the only reason to do cardio is to burn more calories to make your deficit bigger. Right. Right? So 
just like the dieting thing where people think magic diet equals fat loss. If people think the same way, they have these dogmatic views about cardio and training and you know, you've got, if you want to look this way, then you got to do this kind of training. That's all a bunch of nonsense. The only reason that I choose the style of training that I do at my gym is when I, when I look at somebody that's trying to lose body fat, which is what 90% of people are trying to do, I look at it as a, as a twofold problem. One, they need to get rid of body fat. Two, they need to keep as much muscle as possible, okay? So as a coach, when I look at that, it's like, okay, so how do we attack problem number one, which is losing body fat? Well, we create a calorie deficit, okay? Now we can do that with decreasing calories, cardio, whatever. Part two, how do we maintain muscle? Well, the best way to maintain muscle is to train with weights. Hands down, it's not even disputable, right? And that's where my program came from, is it's if everybody wants to lose body fat, and that's their... That's the primary goal of most people. What's the best way to attack that? And the best way to attack that is create a calorie deficit with their nutrition, have them train with weights so that they don't lose muscle. And that's, it's as simple as that. Right. I mean, it makes sense, but it's when you've been taught something your whole life that it's hard to just switch it to now. Okay. Even though scientifically it makes sense, it's just hard to switch your brain that way to think, okay, now I don't have to do cardio if I don't want to, you know, that's... Well, it's, uh, there's a, a guy named Mark Ripito, um, who I, I consider to be a mentor of mine, even though I've never met the guy. I've read all of his books. Um, but he has, he has a lot of, of theories on, he, he owns a gym in, in Texas. And before the Globo Gym craze, right, before like 24-Hour Fitness and LA Fitness and these places came on the market, there were only gyms where you were squatting and deadlifting and bench pressing, right? You know, if anybody's seen pumping iron, you know, that's what gyms were before this globo gym craze. And what did the globo gym craze do? Well, they brought in cardio machines, mm-hmm. right? And rows and rows of cardio. They brought in cardio machines and they brought in workout machines. And the reason that they did that is cardio machines keep everybody in one place. You can get a lot of people in there and they don't cause any problems. You got to fix the machines once in a while, but that's yeah. easy. Two, machines. Why are why are workout machines so popular? Well, because I can have a trainer that doesn't know anything show someone how to use a machine. Right. And so then you're making money. <laughs> so, and machines again, if you have a mechanic that can fix the machine, you know, the plates in my gym, the bumper plates and you know, the bars like every so often I got to buy all new stuff. I got, you know, I have to buy new bars, I have to buy new plates. You know, they didn't like all that stuff. So they were, now they're not concerned with what was the best thing for the member or the client. It was what was the best thing for the gym. And the best thing for the gym is put people on a treadmill and have them use, you know, a bunch of machines. And then we can charge them for a trainer who doesn't really know anything, but they know enough to show them how to use, you know, they can follow the picture on the machine. Right. And people feel like they're getting a workout. And I mean, not to say that machines don't have, uh, you know, some people have injuries and machines are, are great. But the, the fundamentals of, of strength training and weight training were, you know, there's a reason that that's what came out first. You know, machines and treadmills and all that stuff, that followed more on the money side of things. But the, the problem with what, with what I'm trying to teach is that it takes, it takes a lot of years to have a coach ready to teach people that stuff. You know, I have, I have a staff of three people right now, not, not including myself. 
And they've all been doing this for five or six years. And it took them probably at least two years before they were, you know, really able to teach these lifts and, and fix problems and um, make corrections for people. I worked at 24 Hour Fitness. You know how long it took me to get my 24 Hour Fitness certification? I don't want to know. Six days. Oh, so scary. It took six days, and now it's a weekend. When I was there, it was at least a week. Wow. It is a weekend course now, and that person... Is a personal trainer? Yikes. That, I mean, that could cause a lot of in- injuries in itself because you don't necessarily know how to handle somebody with injuries. On machines, it's highly unlikely. The only, the only thing they have to make sure of is that the person doesn't load up too much weight on the machine. Right. So if I have, like, those hand weights, like, at home, I mean, I can do stuff with those that would, I mean, consistency and obviously have a plan for what I'm doing, but that's really bringing it back home and just doing it like old school, the way it used to be. So that stuff can work. Yeah. You don't need all the fancy. You need enough weight. Right. Like right. five pound dumbbells aren't going to get the job done. Right. But yeah, it doesn't need to be complicated. I have, I have clients that I coach online that train in their garage. Yeah. You know, they've got a barbell, they've got a squat rack and they got some dumbbells and. You can do enough of that to yeah. make a difference. It may be boring. You know, right. and people that train, like, you know, my clients that do train at a 24-hour fitness or a bigger gym, um, gives me more freedom with my programming to change things up for them more often, right. as opposed to the person that's in their garage. Right. Um, but the same results. It's good to know you don't have to spend a lot of money. Nope. <laughs> Just got to have somebody, the right person training you. Um, okay, so let's talk about stretching. How important is it to do it before um, and or after a workout? So stretching, I mean, we do a warm-up, and, and it's going to be hard to explain what a, a dynamic warm-up means, but um, a, dynamic, a dynamic warm-up as opposed to, like, static stretching, whereas, like, the old school, like, put your feet together and hang over at the waist. Um, we don't do that stuff before we train. We would do, so that would be more of a hamstring stretch, and what we would do is more like a leg kick, where we are kind of forcing the leg into the stretch and coming back down again. So... To prepare for movement, you have to move, right? Right, Makes And sense. that's kind of been one of the biggest changeovers in like warm-up stuff in the last 10, 15 years is people realize that it's, you know, we'll do, instead of doing like that hurdler stretch where you stretch out your quad, um, we'll do toe grabs walking, you know? So we do all this, we stretch all the same muscles. It's just doing it in a more active way. Okay. And then post-workout, we would do some of the static stretching stuff. Okay. So then, you know, then we would do some of the, like, hurdler stretch, uh, you know, regular hamstring stretch type stuff. Once you're done with the workout, to kind of return the muscles um, to their proper, I want to say, they're not, you're not making them longer, but they get tight when you lift. Right. And that's just part of what happens. So two things. Um, so if you're going to do a little cardio before a strength training, like mm-hmm. maybe you did 10 minutes, that'd be like, that's Warm-up. a good... That's a good one. Okay. That's something you can do. And then um, the other, I heard, I don't know if this is true, but part of the reason you want to stretch after a workout is because, and you kind of just alluded to this, that maybe stretching the muscle makes it, I don't know, necessarily pop, but like makes it look better. Like, I don't know if that's making sense at all. I always stretched. I'm not a good stretcher. I just want to get the workout done. But I would stretch after because I thought like it would make my calves look better. If there's muscle there, if I stretch it, then somehow it's going to make it 
look better. Does that make sense that, at all? I, I mean, I know what you're saying because I've heard it before. That's another myth. Um, muscles, you know, people say like, oh, I'm doing this exercise because I want to get long and lean muscles. Your muscles aren't getting any longer. Okay. They're, they're, they are what they they're are. as long as they're going to be right now, <laughs> unless you're going to have surgery. So it's just one of those things that, you know, ballet teachers use to torture their students and telling them like, oh, the reason that your legs don't look like her legs are because you don't stretch properly. Right. Bullshit. That's just, it's this misconception of different, um, different body types. You know, some people have shorter limbs and, 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 their muscles are going to grow out as opposed to long, right? The taller you are, the longer your muscles look because they are. Right. Your legs are longer, your muscles are longer. Right. You're not going to take somebody that's five foot two and make their legs look like somebody that's six foot two. Right. So it is what it is. There's nothing that it's going to change. Your muscles aren't going to look better because you stretched after workout. It's just better for the muscles. Correct. Okay. Makes sense. Um, how sore is too sore after a workout or is there such a thing? How sore is too sore? When I do squats, there's a I, and I, I don't know if you said that's why we were recording, but you said you don't like challenges. And I've done a squat challenge because it was the only way that I was going to get my butt to do squats. And I took a before and after picture and I was like, oh my gosh, my butt looks better. And it was, you start with 50 squats and then by the end of the 30 days, you're at 250. And it was really hard because 250 squats is really hard to do for me in a day. Not even a day, like in a... And I would do it all at the same time. Um, but it definitely made a difference for me. But when I first started, I mean, I couldn't even sit down. I wanted to cry when I was in bed and just had to, like, move over to the other side. I was so sore. Now, is that too sore or is that just because I was out of shape? Yeah, any crying is too sore. <laughs> it, it wasn't actually. Um, <laughs> one of the hardest things to make people realize, so, you know, mostly this is guys. Uh Women are pretty good about taking direction and understanding, you know, that we're not trying to kill people. But, you know, every once in a while we'll get a guy that comes in that's, you know, my goal day one is not to kill you, right? Because it's not, that's not hard to do. You know, you get somebody that's fresh into the gym, they sit there and they tell you before they walk in the gym, like, you know, I really don't work out much and I'm not just like, oh, I'm going to mess this person up. <laughs> you want awesome. them to come back. <laughs> good, yeah, great job. Yeah. I'm sure that took a lot of skill. So, um... But a lot of guys, you know, we'll get done with the with the first day and they're like, that's it. That's all, you know, that's all we're going to do. Give it a day. You know, and that same person comes limping back in the next day and yeah. it's like, and you wanted to do more. Yeah. So you're going to be sore, right? So let's get that out of the way. Right. There's there's no way to avoid soreness completely if you want to make progress. Right. But there is absolutely a line and I don't know where that line is for you. Okay. Or it's you for Or you listening listening for me it's it's more of a of a experience thing like I can tell when somebody like your legs are done like we're not we don't need to do anymore so let's just say that I had a plan where you were going to do three sets of 10 on your first day and after your second set of 10 your legs are done and I can see it well then we're done at two sets of 10 that day it's not you know it's I'm big on plans but you can also well as a coach you need to be able to adjust plans on the fly that's what people are paying you to do so um, back to how sore is too sore. Uh, you can, you can, you know, when you're pushing too much, you know, there's, there's almost no benefit between a little sore and <coughs> crazy sore. Like you didn't, you didn't get more of the results by doing that. You just made yourself more miserable and you probably 
kept yourself from training. Like, so if you train on Monday and you made yourself so sore that you can't train again until Friday, right? That's too sore. That's crazy. <laughs> because, and this is the way that I look at it, you sh- if you, so let's, you did three sets of 10 on Monday, you couldn't do it again until Friday. Or you did two sets of 10 on Monday, you did three sets of 10 on Wednesday, and you did four sets of 10 on Friday because you allowed yourself to ramp up. So how many total sets did you do with three days a week? Nine. Right. Two, three, four, as opposed to three and three, maybe four the next day. Right. So I did two extra sets because I increased it slowly over time so as opposed to yourself. blowing my legs out on Monday and not being able to do it again all week. Now, when I was doing my personal training, I would go, it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would go. So I got that Tuesday, Thursday break for the, the weekend. Um, now, I would come in sometimes on that Wednesday and just be like, Steve, I'm so sore. Like, I can't, I can't do this. And he's like, let's go. Trust me. Once you start stretching and start going, you're going to be fine. And I was. I fought him the first five minutes because I it did hurt. I was in pain. But he would push me. And then by the end of the workout, I was fine. Like, I didn't feel like my, and I know it's just because your muscles are warming up and all that. But it did feel like I could, I could do it again. You know, so is that bad to push yourself to do it? I mean, should you really let your body recover until you can walk like a normal person again? There's a great analogy for this. And uh, it's not my analogy. So I, I don't want to... If, if Mike Israel hears this, I'm stealing this from him. But use the example of a, of a, of a skyscraper, right? So... When it comes to your training and it comes to recovery, right? So every time you work out, it's like a storm hitting the skyscraper, right? So day one, it blows out the windows, right? Does, you know, does a little bit of like surface damage to the outside, but it's okay, right? And that's how you want Monday to be. Mm-hmm. And then you get a day off. So you get people in there that, you know, you send a repair crew into the building to start kind of messing up. But then Wednesday, you do it again. So this time... It ruins everything that the repair crew was trying to do, and then a little bit more than that. Okay, so then you send the repair crew back in on Thursday, and it starts to get to work again. But then you do it again on Friday. The building never got better. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. If anything, you made it worse over the course of the week. But if you allow it to recover enough to be functional again, right? So you tear it down to the point where it's still functional, but it's kind of messed up. And then you let, you know, you let some time go by and you let a little bit of recovery happen. You, you know, get the windows back up. People can live in there again. Mm-hmm. And then another, you know, then you can do it again. But if you're just constantly tearing down the same building, it's either at best returning to baseline, which is just as bad as it was screwed up the, you know, the last time, or at worst, it's not even returning to baseline. So what that means for you is, and you're doing body squats, right? No, it's just squats, lunges, yeah. Oh, yeah, all of it. <laughs> but when it when in terms of weight training, um the idea of recovery is when you've returned to baseline. So if I can do three sets of squats with weight 50 pounds on Monday, if I can't do three sets of of squats on Wednesday, I'm not recovered enough to train again. So you start with to really see what you can do, you start with maybe what you did originally. So, you know, you take for, uh, when I write programming, just because I've done this, right? And it, if you're going at this by yourself, you've got a lot of trial and error ahead of you. Just mm-hmm. know that. Like, it's not, 
You're not going to be able to look up a customized program for yourself. Like there's going to be a fair amount of screw ups right. involved with this. But because I've I've written programs for lots of people, I know that if you know whatever I give them on Monday, I expect progress on Wednesday, right? Because I know I didn't push them too hard. Even if I would rather give them not enough work on Monday, right? Mm-hmm. And then increase it on Wednesday and then increase it again on Friday so that maybe Monday was under what they could have done, mm-hmm. but it still allowed me to progress for the whole week as opposed to overestimating on Monday and not being able to train on Friday. That makes sense. So you want to get those workouts in and progressing each time. That's the most important thing instead of just trying to push yourself super hard. Yeah. And my that's problem not with, more results. And my problem with challenges is, well, this was a, this was a workout challenge, not a weight loss challenge. Weight loss challenges I hate, but for a different reason. Um, but when it comes to these like physical challenge kind of things, the, especially if it's in a group, the, the want or the feeling of the, of needing to push yourself through things that you know may not be a good idea, mm-hmm. right? So you were okay, good, but you could just as easily have hurt yourself, right? Right. All under the guise of a program that somebody wrote that doesn't know you, they just wrote a program, right? They just wrote a random squat program that progressed some random amount every week or every day or whatever it was. And then whoever coach grabbed a hold of it is just going to push as many people through it as he can. Right. Right. And you're telling your coach, like, I feel terrible. And he's, you know, granted, are there times in here when I have people that are complaining about soreness and I throw them on a bike and they feel great? Yes. However, it's not the, the difference being you still have to pay attention to the volume. And when I use the term volume, it's the amount of total work being done. And with you, you could multiply, you could say like reps because you're not using any weight, but typically it would be the weight you're using times the reps times the sets, right? Right. That would give you the volume that you're doing. And you don't want volume to be increasing. One of the, the, the number one cause of most injuries is a rapid increase of training volume, all right? For example, haven't run in six years and you decide that you're going to go out and run five miles on for on day one and right. you hurt yourself right that was a rapid increase in, right. in volume same idea with the gym you have somebody that you just said i wasn't lifting at all and on day one you got to do 50 squats it's excessive it's pretty excessive i felt it like, the next day i i would not have anybody do that now, as you were saying that, it triggered a memory of, I remember towards the end of that challenge, I remember I, it felt like I pulled something, but once I start something, I had to finish it. So I remember it was in my right leg and I just remember like my upper thigh and I just remember thinking, well, I got, I have a few more days left and I can't not finish this. Like that's insane. So I did, but I probably, I probably wasn't doing much you know, I probably wasn't even like doing any good things for my legs at that point. I probably was just maybe making that pain yeah. worse instead of letting my body recover. But I had to get through that challenge. One of the, and yeah. I did, by the way. I did. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> and, and I'm in all, I don't know what, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Not to be mean, but what did that get you? I had a good butt for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> my butt looked better. And the sense of accomplishment that I like that I got 250 squats that last day. I was, I was patting myself on the back. I was 
you know. But yeah, long term, no, that did nothing for me. Okay. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One is there was no plan for afterwards. Right. I just stopped. And, and one of my problems with any kind of challenge is it puts in people's heads that there's an end to this. Mm-hmm. There's an end to this. Once you, you know, you just make it six weeks and then everything's fine. No, it ain't. No, it's not. You yeah. have to keep. You have Those to keep going. Those results don't stay. So, and that's one of the reasons. Is like I don't run. Like I will run promotions for my gym. Like come try us out for a month. But I do not do six week challenges at my gym because I. That's not what it, it's. It's it's false advertising. What am I giving them in six weeks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, do I just razzle dazzle them with nonsense for six weeks, and then it's like great job. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, I didn't teach you anything. Yeah. And you're, you know, these, all these results that you got are completely artificial and you're going to be right back where you started. Right. Exactly. So. But we want that, that instant gratification. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, mean, instant doesn't seem like in six weeks, but it feels that if you got to where your goal was, whatever your challenge was, if you get to at the end of six weeks, you're like, you know, and that's what you look at, but it doesn't work long term. And that's. That's your. I understand that that's your point, but for somebody like me, I think, wow, only six weeks, and you're gonna get me this. You kind of. I don't. I don't. Yeah, and I don't make any promises like that. It's again, could I do that? Sure, I could. And there's a lot of people that do that, and they make these, these, these lofty promises because they're just like, well, I'll just get them in the door. Once I get them in the door, everything will be okay, and you you're trading the integrity of you know as a as a coach people are trusting you with their health and fitness and people use like health and fitness but health is like their their quality of life you know what i mean health is not just like oh i you know i can run a mile it's Sometimes we're talking about longevity here. We're talking about how long someone's going to be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, you help somebody lose 50 to 100 pounds, like you increase the length of their life, mm-hmm. right? And if you did that in a way that they can't sustain, if you did that by starving them and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, then you kind of fooled them, mm-hmm. right? You're you, not giving them that length no, of longevity. You're, you're pretending to do that mm-hmm. and you're pretending to care that you're helping this person, but in reality... You're, it's starving somebody and working them to death is not, there's no skill involved there, right? That's an easy plan. Here, give somebody a 1,200 calorie diet and have them work out six days a week. Great, now you're a coach. And right. you can run a six-week challenge. And that's, and that's what people do. Yeah. But to convince somebody that there's learning that has to take place, you know, and that's why the gastric bypass uh, success rate is garbage they don't learn anything, mm-hmm. right? You take this you take this fat person and who's been eating horribly their whole life, they have horrible habits, and you snap your fingers and you take away 100 pounds from them. And they're, they don't have any different habits. Yeah, they their didn't, brain wasn't retrained. They didn't learn anything else. So now, you know, depending on what they did, like, okay, so they can only eat a smaller amount of the shitty things that they were eating. Mm-hmm. Until they stretch their stomach back out, right. which is which is what happens, and then here we are again. So, you see these people see these things happening all the time, and it's they blow them off every time the new six week challenge pops up. So, oh, this time it's gonna be this is gonna be the one. It's like January first, all over again. Yeah, and it's every single year. I, you know, I've been doing this long enough now, where 
you know, it's, it's New Year's and it's like, oh, I'm going to start fresh on New Year. What's going to be different than last year? Because it's a new year. Right? Oh, I'm motivated. Because you made a resolution this year. Right. <laughs> and, you know, you, you're motivated. Great. Motivated to do what? Yeah. You still don't have a plan. You still don't have, you don't have any idea what you're going to do. You're going to walk into the gym on probably not even January 1st. Most people don't get in until like 5th, 6th. <laughs> right. Where they're hungover. And you're going to walk in and realize that you have no idea what you're going to do just like last year. Right. You know? Exactly. That motivation leaves just as quick as it got there. Yep. And even those that stick it out, you know, the they may starve themselves and do five hours of cardio every day, but that's going to stop, you know, four to six weeks in, tops. We used to say, when I, when I worked at 24 Hour Fitness, it was Valentine's Day. <laughs> Valentine's Day was the end of New Year's resolutions that because, totally you know, people got to that point and they didn't have a date, is what we assumed. We were, we were dicks. Yeah. But... <laughs> You know, it's like, oh, didn't have a date on Valentine's Day. Screw this. Yeah. Back to haagen or whatever, you Lots know. Lots of chocolates. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever watch that show? Or it's still on. Um, My 600-pound life. I have I know what it is. I don't think I've ever been able to sit through a whole episode oh of it. Oh, my gosh. It is, it makes me sad because these people really are like six, 700. I mean, they're, they're, and that's how they've been. And they have to lose X amount of pounds before they're, they are approved for the surgery. And I'm looking at what they're eating and there were some shows where they were trying to really get on track, but some of them, it was just less than, and they fought the doctor every step of the way. And then the doctor finally approved it. But I'm like, how can you see that they didn't change? So then you do the surgery and then they're not losing the weight that they should. And I'm like, Are you that show me? is stupid because what they need is better friends and family because those people can't even walk and they rely on people bringing them right. garbage to eat. Right. So, how much of that, I mean, granted, they still have to eat the food, but how much of that is the person bringing them the food? Yeah, all the grocery shopping that they're doing for them. And it's, it, it's, it's shocking. Forget, forget to go shopping for them for a week. They'll lose some weight. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, yeah. If I binge that show, I, I don't think I could eat again <laughs> because it just, I mean, it's so sad, but you're just like, it's not the surgery that's going to save their life. They've got to change who they are, and they need to stop having all these enablers. It's like they need to go into therapy altogether to actually fix yeah, I mean, I've what's had, wrong. I've had clients lose a bunch of weight, and you know they they have loose skin and stuff like that, and they'll go and they you know they get the surgery to get the skin taken away, and in their head they think like that that's the last thing. Like as soon as that happens, then I'll be happy, and they're still not happy. Mm-hmm. Because it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Like, there's something going on yeah. with you emotionally that's that's causing these issues. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, you think that all of a sudden, you, you know, they were going to get this surgery or this one thing is the key to their happiness. And it ain't. You always think it's that one thing. You think if, I mean, because I've gone through this, like, if I lose weight, if I get to this size or this weight, whatever it is, then I'll be happy. And it has nothing, because I've been there, it has nothing to do with your weight. It's It's who you are, so... Anyways, okay, so I want to I want to um, ask this because I think it's an important time, um, important question around the holidays. Um, if you're going to drink alcohol, what is? I mean, I don't know if you even support drinking alcohol, but um, I mean, what's the best thing that won't totally kill your diet as far as like you know the calories and 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 whatnot? Um, I was always told that clear liquid. I do vodka, club soda. Yeah, I mean that's that's line. super low calorie. I mean. Just you just want to stay away from high calorie mixers. I mean, all the fun drinks don't drink those. Right. I mean, all the you know the margaritas and the martinis and all that. 
you know, everything that's like a lot of fun, you don't get. That doesn't taste like what you're drinking. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would stick with, you know, zero-calorie zero mixers and, you know, um, and hard alcohol. And, you know, beer for the most part is quite a, quite a bit of calories. Um, you know, if you're trying to lose fat, alcohol is probably the worst thing that you could do, at least while you're dieting. Um, Does it mess with the metabolism and the actual progress? Or is it just because Yeah, it's kind of like, like trying to start a fire with a wet log. Like okay. drinking alcohol, like your body will, until your body gets rid of the alcohol, it stops everything else. So it kind of, um, it sets back the fat burning process. Okay. So again, it, it boils down to <laughs> calories. You know, if you can fit it in, you're still going to lose body fat and all that stuff, but not as much as you could have lost had you not drank alcohol. Okay. Right? Because alcohol is its own macronutrient, right? You have carbs, fat, protein, and alcohol. And it's seven calories per gram, and you don't get anything for it. You don't get energy out of it. You don't get. (laughs) Oh, a fun night. But the uh, actually, the most recent research on alcohol and sleep. So that everyone's like people that do like, oh, I'm having a nightcap so I can go to sleep. Right. They say it's It'll worse. make you go to sleep, but your sleep is worse. Yeah. That's, I have heard about that because alcohol does make me sleepy, but I mean, I, I, I don't sleep any better with it. So say I'm not a big drinker, but if I do, the only thing I drink, because my body actually doesn't really like alcohol, is I, I'll drink Nobody's my... Nobody's body likes alcohol. Well, I mean... <laughs> it's poison. But it's... to a higher level, we're like, I can't, if I drink beer, I'll get sick. If I try to drink tequila, I mean, anything, I can drink kettle one... Grey Goose or Belvedere. There's only three vodkas I can drink. And oh, just, it has just to, the top shelf stuff. Just Exactly. I mean, I wish I could drink Smirnoff. It save me a lot of money. Um, but anyway, so I can I can only drink those. So let's just say I'm going to go out and have two to three. Three is my, I really can't do more than three because the next day will be horrible for me. Is that bad? On a Friday night, Sarah, you know, am I really throwing things off where I'm off for a few days? Or is Saturday just maybe, it's, I'm not going to burn as well? So all these are the kinds of questions that people ask me all the time, and context is everything. Okay. Right. I mean, if I have somebody that's dieting, like currently, and we talked about before, like we do, you know, diet phases where it's like you diet for four to eight weeks and then you take a break. During the four to eight weeks of dieting, no, I would recommend against any alcohol whatsoever. Okay. While you're on a diet break or a maintenance phase. Yeah, figure out a way to fit it in because you're going to do that for the rest of your life. So figure out a way to make it in. But we're also not actively trying to lose body fat at that time. Right. So. Just depends on what you're doing. But yeah. Yeah. If you really want to actively lose weight, then you need to cut it yeah. out. Dieting in terms of the fat loss part of this is about short term deprivation. Right. You have to give some things up for a short period of time to make the progress that you want, followed by periods of maintenance where you get to kind of, you know, slowly reincorporate some of those things back into your life. Um, you know, you get your hands on the last bottle of Kettle One while you're dieting, yeah, go ahead and have a drink. But it's all going to be there, and that's one of the things we tell everybody. is it's like, nothing's going away. Right. You know, people act like, oh, my God, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's just like last Thanksgiving, and the one that's going to be next year and the one after that. Right. So, you know, is it going to be, is this your last Thanksgiving? You know, not to be morbid for anybody that maybe it is, but, you know, <laughs> If it's not, if it is, then you're probably not worried about fat loss. Right. But if it's your, you know, if it, unless it's your last Thanksgiving, guess what? You can make turkey whenever you want. 
You can like they sell stuffing and turkey and all that nonsense all year long. Right. So you can have Thanksgiving in April. Okay, so I think we can finish this up now as, you know, I don't think I need to ask you five, top five diet tips or top five workout tips because I think you've kind of covered that, that there really aren't tips. You just have to stop eating so much and work out. And strength come train, up. not do so much cardio. Who come, knew? Up with, come up with a plan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, and I think that, I know that's my biggest fault in a diet is I don't plan. I just think I'm going to wing it every day. And when I have a busy day at work and I'm clients, 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 and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh shoot! Like I didn't, eat, I didn't plan for this, and I, I, I can't eat for eight hours, whatever. But you know, you just think you're gonna figure it out, and then you don't, because then you get home and you want to eat everything because you're so hungry. So a plan really is the best. Um, thank you so much for talking to me, with me today. I know I learned. <laughs> so I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't know anything. Um, but tell everybody where they can find you on uh, social media. Uh, so you can find it's it's pretty much my gym, but I mean obviously it's it's me um, at Train Insane Gym on Instagram. Uh, you can find Train Insane Gym on Facebook. And then uh, if you're listening, I have a, a private page that's just for uh, women. It's called the Fit Moms Club on uh, on Facebook. It is a private page, uh, but I'm constantly loading the thing up with um, videos and content. And um, it's like it's actually where Devin, yeah. Devin found me. Yeah, um, and I'm not a mom, so you don't have to be a mom to join the group or learn. Um, that's where I found that, that post that he did that triggered all of this. So I highly recommend him and definitely follow him on social media because it definitely will give you motivation when you see this before and after pictures. Those always get me. I'm like, I want to look like that. All right, thank you so much, Jeff. You're very welcome. Hey guys, I just wanted to update this episode with all my new information. Pure Skin and Body is now Pure Skin OC. You can visit my website at pureskinoc.com. Lots of new information there. I'm also part of Patreon now. And there's a page for that information. So it's great for clients and uh, aestheticians, professionals, whatever, that want more, more stuff than I offer on the regular podcast. So it's available at two different levels. Easy to sign up check it all out on my website. And then also follow me on social media at Pierskin OC. Hope you like all the changes. Thanks guys.